We just finished, the last time I spoke, the last 12 books of the Hebrew Scriptures, which are called the Minor Prophets. They're not really minor, as you found out as we went through that. And so we're going back into the New Testament this morning. My practice has been here at Calvary Chapel so that sometime through the year that we do some studies in the Hebrew Scriptures, but we also do some studies in the New Testament. So we've done a large section, I think it was 13 weeks, in the Minor Prophets, and this morning we're going to be doing, starting this morning, we're going to be doing 13 weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, This sermon is considered by many the finest of Jesus' teachings, certainly the longest. He spends some time in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 talking about end times. And in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, he has some instructions and some prayers for uh, his disciples. But here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, um, he gets very, very specific about what he has and what he would want for his people. Now, some say that the Sermon on the Mount is not able to be lived, and, but that's not the point. The point is, if you want to know the heart of God for people who are in his kingdom, this expresses his heart and what he would like to see his people do and represent. So, these are the Beatitudes, verses um, 3 through 10. There's eight Beatitudes, but we're only going to look at seven this morning. Um, the eighth beatitude has to do with persecution, and it really is an expression of if you live verses 3 through uh, 9, you will experience uh, verse 10. Okay, but we'll talk about that next week. Uh, So let's read uh, verses 1 through 9. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Father, we thank you for the words of Christ. We thank you that he can touch our hearts as these words are empowered by your spirit and impressed upon our minds and our hearts. May that happen this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at this scripture, some of the translations say happy, happy. I don't like the word happy. It's taken some context that we don't want to pay attention to, okay? The word could be translated happy, but in English language today, I don't, I don't think that fits in. I think blessed or blessed is much more appropriate. Um, now, when we use this phrase, man, I'm blessed. What do you, when you use that, you usually say, I'm blessed because things are going well. 
I'm blessed because things are going well at the work or at home. I've really been blessed. And I think that's an appropriate use for today, but that's not what Jesus means. <laughs> that's not what he means when he's talking here in the Beatitudes. What he's doing here is he's laying a base to describe the kind of people that can hear and understand what he's about to say in the balance of his sermon. What he's going to say in chapters 5, 6, and 7 only can be applied and really understood by those people that he describes in verses 3 through 9. Blessed are those people. Okay. Now, the words that he's going to say in chapters 5, 6, and 7 really can't be understood by philosophers, religionists, moralists, or just plain pagan people. They they don't have the ability to grasp and understand what Jesus is about to say in the Sermon on the Mount. The classic example that they don't understand is found in chapter 7, verse 1. Where you always hear this, where everybody always says to you, what? Well, I know the words of Jesus, and they always say, judge not, lest you be judged. Haven't you heard that? And what they mean is, don't you dare restrict me in what I can do. Don't you dare say anything against what I'm about to do, because Jesus says, Jesus says, judge not, lest you be judged. They don't have a clue what Jesus is saying there. Not a clue. The words that he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount are directed towards those that he's going to qualify as being blessed. So he's laying a base, laying a base. Well, what does it mean to be blessed? Well, I've kind of separated these verses, these first seven Beatitudes, into three categories, and I want to look at it from that perspective. First perspective we see, and you can find that in your outline, is found in verses 3 through 5. The one who is blessed has had a real spiritual experience. A real spiritual experience. What do I mean by that? Well, normally in a church on Sunday morning, you have people being called forward at the end of the service to identify themselves with Christ. Or you have people in other churches, they fill out cards. Fill out a card if you want to accept Christ. Or come forward and go to a prayer room. People have prayer rooms, some churches. And then other churches, they say, if you want to receive Christ, come forward to be water baptized. Oh, I'm not criticizing those, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. As fine as all of those things are, he's talking about people who are blessed because they are having a real spiritual experience. And that's my words I'm using. What does that mean? Let's take a look. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. What Jesus is talking about is those who have come to the end of themselves. They've come to the end of themselves. They realize they have no spiritual riches in and of themselves. They are poor in spirit. The Bible says that we need to recognize before we come to Christ that we are dead in sin and trespasses. (laughs) We don't have any resources. We are bankrupt. Later on in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, not by works. There's nothing we can do to kind of engender ourselves 
to God. We've laid aside any program by which we're going to reach God in and of ourselves. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Then he goes on. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who have a deep abiding sorrow and repugnance to the life they lived apart from God. They've come to a place where they just said, ah, I'm through with that. And I am ashamed of what I have done apart from God. Blessed are those who mourn over their life of ungodliness. Jesus, when he began first, his first message that he would say to the people are, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. The time is fulfilled. Repent and believe the gospel. Blessed are those who mourn because they have a deep and abiding sorrow and even repugnance of what they've done apart from God. Verse 5. Blessed are those who are gentle. That word can be translated meek. We don't use the word meek. That's kind of, it's got a bad connotation. Probably a better, blessed are those who are humble. Blessed are those who are humble. Those who have come to a deep abiding sense of their own failures, uh, sorrow over what they've done, and they have laid aside any agenda that they say, Before I come to God, you need to do this, this, and this. They are ready with Jesus as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, not my will be done, but your will. They have come to a place where there's no pride. James chapter 4 says that God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, we don't earn God's grace, which is God's unmerited favor. We don't earn it. But certainly a proud and holy person hinders that from coming to him. What do I mean by having a real spiritual experience? Those who have come to an end of themselves, those who mourn over their sins, and those who humbly accept God's will in their life. That's a person who's blessed. Blessed. Now, in each of these, there's results, and it's in the second half of the verses. In verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus says, unless one be born again, he cannot enter or see the kingdom of God. In verse 4, blessed are those who, uh, who mourn, who've mourned, they shall be comforted. The Bible says that Jesus didn't come to the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved. And so rather than judgment, we find comfort when we're one of the blessed, not judgment. In verse 5, blessed are those who are gentle and humble. They shall inherit the earth. Isn't that interesting? There's a lot of people who are trying to gain control and be the king of the universe or the king of the world. But in the end, we'll see. The Bible says that it is the humble who shall be blessed and who shall inherit the earth and rule and reign with Christ. Blessed is the one who has had a real spiritual experience 
That's the kind of person Jesus is talking about. Now, I was thinking, where's an example of a person like that? Where's an example of a person like that? And I came up with, and we're very familiar with this, is in Luke 15, they have the story of the prodigal son. Do you remember the story? The prodigal son, he got his money from his dad early, went off, lived in a, in a, a faraway city, spent his money on loose living. And then when he ran out of money, wouldn't you know it, a famine came, and he ended up as a good Jewish boy feeding pigs. Yuck. But let me read from Luke 15, verse 17. Listen to how this man moved to be blessed. It says, as he was getting ready to feed the pigs, it said, but when he came to his senses, ah, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread and I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Ah, we see the same process going on. He came to his senses. He saw that he had no resources. He comes to his father and humbly admits his failures and accepts whatever his father has for him. Look what happens. Verse 22. But the father said to the slaves, quickly bring out a robe, put it on him, a ring on his hand, a sandal on his feet, bring the fatted calf and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. Dead. (laughs) Dead in sin and trespasses. But he has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. See that? That's the blessed man who's having a real spiritual He He's come to his senses. He's recognized his own sins and he humbly yields himself to his father. Blessed are that, is that man and that woman. Okay. Second category, moving down to verse 6. One who is blessed, who has a consistent desire for more. A consistent desire for more. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about putting off the old man. He says um, in verse 22, he says, in reference to your former life, manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which is in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. What do I mean by being a consistent desire for more? Well, it begins when one turns away from that old life and pulls away from that life puts off the old man, as Paul says, and puts on the new man. Now, he has had a real spiritual experience, not only in the past, but that life that I just described in verses 3, 4, and 5 is continually going on in his life. But it's not just, that's just not enough. There's more that he wants. 
And what does it say? It says that he hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Oh, yes, he has come to know the Savior, but there's got to be more. And so what does he do? The man who's blessed puts aside the life that he was living. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, it tells us as newborn babes let us desire what? The milk of the word, like a baby desiring the word of God. Then in Hebrews it tells us in chapter 6 as we grow that we would do what? Would not only desire the milk of the word but we would desire the solid meat, the solid word of God. Go past just the simple things of faith but now move into the deeper truths of God's word. But it's not only just drawing near to God and away from the things in the past. It's more than just uh, desiring the word of God. But it has to do with allowing God to discipline us. When his, his hand of discipline comes upon us, it says in Hebrews chapter 12 that that discipline is not joyful and it's even sorrowful, but afterwards it does what? It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. You see, he's hungry and thirsting for righteousness. So he allows the discipline of the Lord to take place. He doesn't run from it, but he accepts it because it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness because he's hungering and thirsting for that. Now in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it talks about trials, welcoming them as friends and not enemies because they imbue, uh, take into us the uh, patience that produces maturity that comes with enduring trials, not running away from them, but allowing them to take place in our lives. And the same thing in Romans chapter 5. Paul talks about that process where uh, difficulties produce uh, uh, perseverance, and perseverance, what? Proven character. So hungering and thirsting for righteousness is a process whereby we draw away from the things of this world that we were doing. Drawing near to God in his word, both as milk and solid food. And then we allow him to discipline us and we allow the trials of life to perfect us and mature us, even though it's not joyful, but oftentimes sorrowful because it produces, it produces the righteousness of God, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. One who's blessed is someone who's had a real spiritual experience. One who's blessed has a consistent desire for more righteousness in his or her life. Now, notice what it says. The results, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be, what? Satisfied or filled, yes. There's an emptiness in life apart from God. There's an emptiness in life. Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 says what? Take my yoke upon yourself and learn of me. 
learn of me, and you shall be, find rest for your souls. <laughs> rest for your souls. There's an emptiness of life apart from the yoke of Christ. Now, the answer given by the world is what? Well, just do what, you know, you really enjoy. Give yourself into those desires that you have. It says in Romans chapter 6, it says when you do and you give yourself into those things, you become slaves to the very thing that you're trying to find satisfaction with. You become the slave of those things. And so the alcoholic drinks more and more, trying to fill that emptiness trying to fill his soul with something that'll help. But it only just destroys his body. The drug addict gives himself to drugs and starts with marijuana, moves on to speed, and then to heroin, and then to OD and death. Those who seek to find pleasure in pornography find themselves further and further, deeper and deeper into gross immorality. Gross immorality. Because those things that you seek to fill that emptiness in your soul capture you (laughs) and make you its slave. Jesus, however, said what? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they might have life. might have life more abundantly. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and you find rest for your souls. I was thinking, where could I find somebody described like that? Just, you don't have to turn here. Let me read. Let me read a man who is blessed. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Of course, you know that Psalm number one. How blessed is the person who has a real spiritual experience How blessed is the person who has a consistent desire for more and he'll find rest for his soul. The last category is found in verses 7 through 9. The one who is blessed has his desire to make those same things that happened in his life happen in others. That which he has experienced, he now wants to transfer to those around him. How does this happen? Let's take a look. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who are able to forgive. You have received mercy from God. 
Should you not show the same mercy to those who have offended you? Blessed are the merciful, because they have received mercy from God. In the classic passage in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells the parable of a man who was forgiven much by his master. Do you remember the parable? He was forgiven much. However, he goes out and he finds someone who owes him just a little bit, just a tiny bit of what he owed his master. And he grabs him and he threatens to throw him in jail unless he pays him back. Well, some of his friends find out what he's done and go tell his master. His master drags him before him, and this is what his master says in Matthew 18.33. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? If we want to transfer our experience that we have had with the Lord, we must first be merciful to those that have offended us. As a matter of fact, Jesus goes on later on in the Sermon on the Mount, and he'll say, he'll say, if you don't have that capacity to forgive others, you probably have not received mercy from the Father. Because when we come to terms with the awful debt that we owe God compared with the small debt that those who offended us, we find the capacity because the Father has forgiven me I now have the capacity to forgive you and what you've done to me. Blessed are the merciful. He goes on, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now this kind of throws us at first because we remember Jeremiah 17.9. Jeremiah 17.9 says what? says, the heart is deceitfully wicked and sick. <laughs> Who can know it? You say, well, Neil, how, how, how can we be merciful? How can we be, excuse me, pure? The word literally means, the word literally means undivided. Blessed are those who have an undivided heart, an undivided heart. What does that mean? Well, Jesus is talking about that you live that which you say. You live that which you say. In other words, one day you're in church and everything is wonderful, raising your hands to God, and the next day you're out in the parking lot yelling at somebody, screaming at them because of whatever offense they've done. Wait a minute, what kind of life are you living? Are you living a, a divided life? In James chapter 1, what does James tell us? A double-minded man, he shall not receive what? Anything. Don't let him think he's going to receive anything from the Lord. Why? Because he's saying one thing but living another way. If we want to transfer the experience that we have had with Jesus as our Savior, we must first have mercy, have a forgiving spirit, and secondly, we need to live it. We need to show them by our example, not living an undivided life a double-minded life. He goes on. Verse 9. If we want to transfer our experience to others, we must be peacemakers. That means we actively engage those, actively engage those 
who have no peace. They have no peace with their fellow man and they have no peace with God. We must actively engage them. Not only just forgive them, not only show them by an example, but engage them and confront them with the truth of the gospel so they might have peace with God and therefore peace with their fellow man. Blessed is the one who has a desire to make the same thing happen in their lives as happened in theirs. Okay, what are the results? Let's take a look. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, the forgiving, for they shall receive mercy. Uh, What we sow, we reap. You live a life of bitterness and unforgiveness, that's exactly what you're going to get. You live a life of mercy and forgiveness, that's the quality of what you'll receive. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hmm. What does that mean? Ever seen that bumper sticker, feel far from God? Guess who moved? Have you ever seen that? (laughs) Feel far from God? Guess who moved? Not God. Oftentimes, the reason we don't see God working in our lives is because, (laughs) is because we are living an undivided, we're living uh, a divided life. Uh, We're not living it. And God is looking for somebody who not only believes it, but lives it. And if you want to see God working in your life, begin to live an undivided life. Begin to live not a, a life which says one thing and does something else. The life that God seeks to use. You want to see him work in your life? You want to see him work in my life? We need to live that which we believe. Blessed are the pure in heart, the undivided, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. What does that mean? Well, if you pull back and look at church history, there's a lot of places where people said that they were disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus. But within the perspective of years past and centuries past, you can now look at church history and you'll say, uh, yes, those were the people of God. Those, those right there. That what they did right there in that age, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 500 years, those were the children of God. This other group that claimed to be God, they were, the, they were being controlled by the enemy of our soul. As we look back in history, we can point out very quickly who were the children of God and who were the children and being used by the devil. They shall be called the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. We can see them and we'll be called based on our actions. Okay, then I was thinking, who's somebody that's a good example of someone who was transferring his experience to those around him? And of course I came up with classic example is Stephen. Stephen, in Acts chapter 6, it talks about Stephen, that he was a man, verse 5, full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And in verse 8, it says that he was full of grace, forgiveness, and full of power 
and performing wonders and signs among the people, so much so that the people who were listening to him were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. He not only lived it, he spoke it and lived it. And it said, when they dragged him before the council, they looked at him and he said he had the face of an angel. At the end, as they're getting ready to kill him, it says that he looked up and what did he say? Behold, I see the heavens opened and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they, what? Shall seek God. Quite a man. So, what are the characteristics of a person that can see and understand what Jesus is about to say in this sermon? Characteristics of a person who's had a real experience, spiritual experience with God. The person who has come to the end of himself, who mourns over his sins and humbly submits to God. A person who has a consistent desire for more in his word and in his experiences with God and allows God to give him trials and to discipline him and doesn't run away from it, but embraces it, even as James says, as a friend. Because it, though sorrowful, it produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And as a result, that experience, that blessed person now longs to transfer that which he has experienced and transfer it to those around him. That, according to Jesus, is the blessed one. Okay. Let's kind of pull it together. Um, Kind of concluding thoughts here. I came across this little article And the question is, what is celibacy? What is celibacy? The definition is, celibacy can be a choice of life or a condition imposed by circumstances. Celibacy can be a choice of life or a condition imposed by circumstances. The explanation is given. While attending a marriage weekend... Frank and his wife listened to the instructor declare that it is essential that husbands and wives know the things that are important to each other. So they're at their marriage weekend, and the instructor was telling them that husbands and wives need to know the things that are really important to their mates. He then addressed the men, and he said, can you name and describe your wife's favorite flower. Name and describe your wife's favorite flower. Frank leaned over, touched Anne's arm gently and whispered, gold medal all purpose, isn't it? (laughs) And thus began Frank's life of celibacy. You see, life is filled with choices. Choices that always have consequences. Isn't that true? And perhaps the most important choices is the nature of our spiritual lives. 
how we're going to live life. Now, in this series, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will confront us with the most profound choices that we have to make. Are we going to live our lives as a moralist, a realist? Are we going to live our lives as a religious person, a philosopher? Or are we going to live our lives as followers of Jesus? And when we make that choice, it will alter how we live here on this planet, and it will alter how we live in eternity. So our choices are very important, especially as we look at chapters 5, 6, and 7 as found in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's the question. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are gentle, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, the pure, and the peacemakers. Do we believe him? That's the question. Let's pray. Lord, over and over again, as we study, especially the New Testament, but the whole Bible, we're confronted with the truth about ourselves, about the world we live in, about the choices that we need to make, the responses that you urge us to make. Lord, in and of ourselves, we have to admit, even as we saw this morning, that oftentimes we know what we should do, but oftentimes we don't want to do it. We don't have any resources within ourselves. We look to your Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds, our hearts, to infuse us with the power to say, even with Jesus, um, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. To be able to say those words as we face work tomorrow morning, as we face problems in our family, as we face issues in our own personal lives. Not my will, but your will be done. We want to pray as we begin this series in the Sermon on the Mount, listening very carefully to your words that that might be expressive in our hearts in every area that you will speak to us over the next 13 weeks. To that end, we want to say, Lord, we believe, we hear, we yield ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.